Hi, friends. You're tuned in to Legal Means Business, a podcast by Leeway. We are joined by some amazing guests who help us identify how to take your legal function and career to the next level. I'm your host, Steph Smith, and we're talking all things legal ops and legal tech, as well as other critical skills needed to help you thrive in the evolving in-house arena. Don't forget, you can watch us on YouTube or listen on the go through Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy the conversation, please do hit subscribe and let us know what you think on social. The biggest, the biggest misconception that I can think of is, is that you can come up with the system and tell people about it and wave your flag and say, look, I've come up with a system and uh, then let people loose with it and everything will be fine. Whereas I, I've learned, learned over the past year that a process, while it tells people what to do, doesn't tell people how to do it. And so in addition to a process, you have to come up with a standard for how people actually go through that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as our team grows and as I start to manage more people, it's clear that to reduce the amount of hands-on training, the amount of time you need to spend with the people you're hiring in your team, you really need to give them a clear standard to apply when they're following the process. The tech industry moves fast, so setting up your legal function in a way that enables scale is absolutely critical. This means designing legal processes that are both fast and effective. This is exactly what Luke O'Leary is on a mission to achieve. Luke is the legal expert at European fintech unicorn Conto, and he believes that a key aspect of legal function scalability is in the design of processes for quality, speed and autonomy. Let's find out more. Perfect. Well, thank you for joining us, Luke, on the podcast. Absolutely delighted to have you. Always a pleasure to have a Leeway customer, first of all, but also super exciting considering Conto has recently become a unicorn, right? <laughs> yeah, they have indeed. That's the big news of January. Exactly. What's that been like for the team and what have the vibes been like? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it was a very long uh, and intense fundraising process, uh, which was fantastic to be a part of um, mm-hmm. to have the exposure and work with senior management and work with all the wonderful investors that we have in terms of the opportunities it gives us kind of obvious now is a time where we have 500 million euros to go and uh, spend on growing the business and growing it very quickly mm-hmm. so definitely a lot of opportunities for growth and a lot of exciting opportunities for introducing new features and new products to our clients which obviously implies more work for the legal team but more interesting and complex work yeah it's been great actually to see um i've seen on conto sharing like articles from the legal team about what's been involved to to get to that stage and stuff so it's really cool seeing a business like acknowledging all the hard work that legal does um throughout yeah well i think one of the things that occurred to us when we were going through this process and that has obviously occurred to Alex and Steve, our co-founders, in the past now having done, I think, five rounds of fundraising, is that it is too often a mystery mm-hmm. and it should always be a mystery and they've learned through the various different rounds of fundraising that, that they've raised and wanted to share some of that 
with uh, the French market and the more international market. Show, yeah. show you how we do things at Conto and perhaps provide something of a blueprint for other startups who maybe didn't have the finance and legal teams with quite a strong background in corporate finance and M&A and fundraising transactions. Yeah, for sure. We can maybe link those actually because they're in, in, in the bio of the podcast because there's some really great pieces and some great insights there as well. For our international audience, as you mentioned, could you tell us a bit more about what Conto is, what you do, and just give us a bit of background, please. Sure, very happily. So Conto is, is a leading European business finance solution. Uh, the goal is to simplify everything from business banking to business financing to also bookkeeping and spend management uh, with a mission, obviously, of energizing SMEs and freelancers, the most important people to Conto, our customers, so that they can achieve more with less. Mm-hmm. Uh, we only offer accounts to people who are operating a business, not to individuals. Uh, in terms of a bit more detail on the background, it's founded by Alex Poe and Stephen Avi in 2007. Uh, sorry, it's 2017. <laughs> We're currently 600 plus contours. Uh, and as you've probably seen all over LinkedIn, we're hiring many more people in the next uh, two years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, got 220,000 plus customers. Uh, who are using Conto. Uh, we've raised money from a wide variety of US, Chinese and European investors, including Valar, Tencent, DST, Alvin, and most recently our Series D, which was led by Tiger and GCV. We featured in French Tech Next 40, and we were the first, this is an interesting nuance to the business actually, we were the first B2B account for finance management to get a payment institution license. Hmm. Cool. So a lot going on. A lot going on. And and just to provide an analogy for listeners who might be familiar with other people in the startup world, uh, in the UK, Tide is a similar thing to what we do, Uh, except that whereas Tide is just relevant, uh, just um, present in the UK, we're present in four different EU markets in France, Italy, Germany and Spain. Uh, And we provide, we like to think, a more full service offering than uh, many of our competitors do. (laughs) <laughs> nice I like that plug <laughs> um, and obviously as you touched on you've raised over 600 million or so I think it was um, at this stage which must have involved a lot from the legal team <laughs> as you've touched on and you've mentioned quite a lot as well it feels like there's quite an ethos at Conto is this the case and if so what is that ethos and what does it mean for for the legal team uh, so yes, there is, there is a very strong ethos at Conto. It's uh, we call it the Conto way, uh, which is not it's not a cult. We're not trying to get you to join the cult. <laughs> Conto, it's uh, it, but it's really a philosophy that underpins a lot of what we do at, at Conto, uh, and it's founded on the Toyota Lean Management Toyota Production System uh, that was put in place by Toyota for manufacturing their cars. And while you might think that that's a slightly strange thing to apply to a, to a B2B fintech, uh, actually it maps pretty well onto what we do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so there are several elements to that, uh, putting in place a foundation so that people understand what they're working on, doing things that are just in time, right first time, and that provide value to the customer, which is kind of the most important at the end of the day. 
but mm-hmm. the different parts can't work without the others they're all fairly well interconnected mm-hmm. um, and, and is that something that touches all the teams it it is i mean it probably slightly more obviously applied to the tech team and the product team but as we've been discovering well as i've been discovering over the last year and as we've been implementing more process and trying to align what we do with the rest of the business and the legal team i've been seeing actually that there's a lot uh, the maps onto other legal teams tasks as well and obviously conto's grown a lot uh, since it was founded in in 2017 what is the role of legal in such a fast growing tech company so the role of legal is to big question <laughs> <laughs> i mean if if we take a step back and look at the goals i mean the goal is to help the product the strategy the growth the ops the tech team to deliver on Conto's growth strategy and to do that by providing excellent legal advice on all legal issues that affect the business. In terms of how do we do that, my personal view is that by being involved as early as possible, as often as possible, so we can spot potential issues or potential risks early and aid in transparent and successful negotiations with our partners or even potential providers before they become partners. Yeah, definitely. And do you think it's it's quite a different, because it is scaling so quickly, there's a lot of different things that you're having to think about? <laughs> uh, very much so. I mean, if you think about the size of the team when I joined a year ago, it was three people and now we're 10. So mm-hmm. that's, you yeah. can imagine the amount of change that yeah. <laughs> there's just a year. And I've gone from starting out working on a bit of everything because when you're a team of three in in the company of at the time it was 300 350 you need to work on a bit of everything because there aren't enough people to focus on just one part so whereas now since the beginning of the year we've been 10 we can start to develop subspecialisms within the team and to focus on creating new poles of expertise within the legal team which allows you to spend more time on key issues that matter. And, you know, when you're in a legal team, there are often issues that do require a lot of thought and you can't just give a, an immediate response. So it's been great to see every part of the business, but also fantastic that we're putting in place a structure that will allow us to have specialist teams that cover all the different areas of the business which in the next couple of years as we grow with the Series D funding that we've raised will be even more important because the growth is not going to stop. It's only going to carry on. Yeah, exactly. And you, you touched on it there. Obviously, the the business has been scaling rapidly. The legal team has certainly grown in numbers. When it comes to, to scalability, what does what does scalability mean to you in the context of a legal function? I suppose... Well, there are two ways that you can scale. One is by scaling the number of people in your team. And the other is by putting in place a process to do more with the same amount of people. And often, as you will know from having talked to all the different uh, in-house legal teams in, in the market, the speed or pace of growth of the legal team does not often keep pace with the growth of the rest of the business, mm-hmm. which is to some extent natural. You're not an immediate driver of client acquisition 
or, uh, or, or, or gaining market share. But that means that uh, you need to have a process in place. You need to talk, you basically need to go for option two. You need to have a process in place that allows you to do more with less. If you don't have a process in place that allows for scalability, the business has a choice. It can either wait for legal to review everything, but that's not very practical and will create a backlog and slow down your growth. Or you can bypass legal on lots of things, but then that creates potential risks down the down the road. <laughs> and neither is a particularly palatable outcome. So, I mean, on, on some level, I, I totally understand why lawyers are not involved at a slightly earlier stage of the business. But I would say that it's a very good idea to involve lawyers from mm. as early stage in the business as possible. Like typically, you only hire a lawyer at Series B, but I would say really from series that were series a or even seed round mm-hmm. you should be thinking about it because yeah. a good lawyer is not just a lawyer he can or she can also be a strategist someone who can help with sales someone who can help with marketing someone who can help with ops someone who can help with communications mm-hmm. and the swiss army knife for your uh, business because of the skills they've learned in their careers yeah, no, I love that. I love that. It's a great point, actually. There's quite a lot of debate, I think, around when a company should be investing or of hiring their first um, legal hire. And I suppose you touched on it there. So so you think it would be ideally as early as possible from seed funding, for for instance, would be, would be the preference? I mean, if you can find someone who wants to do all of those things. I think if, if you mm-hmm. don't have someone who wants to do the wide variety that I just described, then maybe you don't have enough work at seed stage to merit the cost. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, that's there a great are, point. There are people out there who, who would like to uh, to yeah. get involved you're in look- parts of the business. Looking for a business person with a legal mind rather than a legal mind, legal person with some business. Yeah. <laughs> so to scale, as you mentioned, you really need to be thinking about your processes and the tools and, of course, the people that you have. So when it comes to processes, they're seen differently by different people, I would say. Um, what's your what's your take on processes? Yeah. So uh, as I, I think I may have mentioned to you before, uh, coming from a UK, US background well UK background with a UK US outlook on life I definitely would have said a few years ago that processes were were hindrance rather than an accelerator and, and it's true that too much process can definitely hinder your growth and there's a lot of startup management literature that I've read that talks about not in introducing too many rules like the no rules rules but the wind tastings and Aaron Meyer and I think you know, that that approach might work for some businesses but personally, I think for most businesses, that's a sort of disaster waiting to happen. If you don't have a process in place, you can't grow. You can't know that the people who join the business will know what they're doing and, and they will be able to run with things and be autonomous quickly. And the past year I've spent with Quanto is maybe a very big convert to having processes in place uh, because I've realized that having, well, spending the time at the beginning of a project or a task, uh, defining the process you're going to use, the outcomes you want. So in our cases, completing the Kanban card, with including the details of everyone involved, whether it's the people in the legal team or people in the operational teams, what the business objectives are, 
completing your RASI matrix and your SWOT analysis, it takes time. And often when you're running with things quite quickly, you think, oh, I don't really want to spend the time to do this. But I found from experience now that it's much, much more helpful later on. Uh, clarifying your thoughts at the start speeds up your work later on. And so uh, my approach is now start a bit slow in order to go faster later. Often, when the size of the legal team isn't growing at the rate of the business, the only viable option for a legal function to scale is to put the right processes in place. A key concept here is to appreciate that going slowly at the beginning speeds you up later on. To achieve this, take the time at the beginning of a project or task to define the processes that you're going to use. For example, complete a Kanban card on Notion, fill in the details of everyone involved, list the business and operational objectives, complete a rough SWOT analysis, and create a RASI matrix, which stands for Responsible, Accountable, Consult and Inform, to ensure you're engaging the right people at the right time. Spending the time on this at the beginning is sure to offer a great return on investment as you implement new processes or move through a specific project. Yeah, no, I love that. I think people can be put off by the idea of uh, the upfront effort, but I think there's such a huge ROI on that effort put in for, for down the road. You'll be thanking yourself. So, you know, all legal departments have processes in place, whether or not they're effective. But, you know, it's a it's another story. So what are some of the kind of misconceptions around creating processes or some of the, the automatic default responses um, when it comes to creating processes? Uh, yeah, I think the the biggest the biggest misconception that I can think of is, is that you can come up with the system and tell people about it and wave your flag and say, look, I've come up with a system and uh, then let people loose with it and everything will be fine. Um, whereas I, I've learned, learned over the past year, really, I mean, having spent eight years in international law firms, I obviously learned how to do a process, but it's really in the last year that it's sunk, sunk in that a process, while it tells people what to do, doesn't tell people how to do it. And so in addition to a process, you have to come up with a standard for how people actually go through that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as our team grows and as I start to manage more people, it's clear that to reduce the amount of hands-on training, the amount of time you need to spend with the people you're hiring in your team, you really need to give them a clear standard to apply when they're following the process. And that mm-hmm. will allow them to gain the time as possible and while you're still obviously going to have to spend time training them that will free up more time for you to do other things yeah that's a great point all about empowering them and kind of distributing that ownership of of the tasks and making sure they're equipped and increasingly i suppose legal teams are having to collaborate more closely with teams from other functions how do legal processes impact the wider business hopefully if they're done right then they they impact them quite tangibly both in terms of financial impact and customer acquisition and also in terms of centralizing and institutionalizing knowledge on subjects that can be reused for future projects Mm -hmm. 
So we're obviously in in, in, a, in the startup industry, in the fintech industry, where first mover advantage is key, and providing an offering that distinguishes you from your competitors can be a make or break, like a survival, an existential issue. The longer it takes to negotiate a contract or review or approve something or for you to clear the Kanban card that's been created for you that you need to validate, uh, the more likely it is that one of your competitors down the street comes up with the new feature first and takes the client from you that you were hoping to convert. So having a process in place to allow you to move quickly and to respond to the business need is absolutely crucial. Mm-hmm. Uh, you obviously, I think no one really wants to feel like they're the bottleneck or, or the, the blockage in any situation. But it is also important to balance that with sometimes sometimes you do have to say no, or sometimes you do have to say, I'm not going to be able to do this on the time scale you've suggested, and this is the reason why. Mm-hmm. And if you present that as a reason that's a, that's understandable to the other team that where there's a real risk you've identified, that means that the contract needs to be reviewed for another day or two. That's that's absolutely fine. You just need to mm-hmm. communicate well. I guess the hard thing about being a legal team sometimes is is, is having to have those conversations, and and also that some teams don't necessarily understand you're trying to protect the company against future risks that may only be potential risks. They may never arise and hopefully actually will never arise. Uh, so some of the work you do never gets seen. Mm-hmm. And if everything is going well and everything is easy, that's great. And people don't necessarily think that. I'm not saying it's just because of the legal team, but it's yeah. <laughs> maybe partly because of the legal team negotiating a good contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And you also mentioned there in terms of legal works on so many different things that being able to use your processes to move faster is is such a competitive advantage. And I think especially for legal, considering legal is often, you know, the entry and exit point for so many things in the business that I think the legal team has a much better, much better visibility over what's going on than than the wider business might, might first assume. They, they they do well we do generally and I, I imagine lots of legal teams around the market do um one thing i'm trying to work on more with my new mandate as team lead in product and strategy legal but i know other team leads in, in the legal team are trying to work on the same thing is to be involved in the process at a much earlier stage than often we have been in the past mm-hmm. when i arrived last year and we were a much smaller legal team uh, typically, I, I realized that we would receive first contact on, on a project quite close to the contract starting negotiation or you know, even worse sometimes when the contract was you know, presented as basically agreed, can, we, can you validate and sign it? And uh, so one of the things I've been trying to put in place is to be involved as early as possible, as often as possible. And that starts from the very first conversations with potential partners during the selection process of a partner and also the kickoff calls and all the calls between products, tech, ops uh, and, and other teams that you work with on a regular basis with your providers. And it's only really by being involved that early that you can have a proper understanding of what's going on. 
and you can therefore be much more efficient in the work that you do, even though you might be spending way more time on calls than you would ideally be spending. Mm-hmm. Hopefully the business you're working in is interesting to you, so actually it, it, it's interesting. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's not a chore to attend these calls, but on a more practical sort of objective note, having the knowledge that you get from those calls is essential in drafting the contract, negotiating the best terms, making sure you've included the protections that are needed, making sure you've just included from a very practical perspective the documentation reporting that you need to receive as a business so that your operations team has the information they need to monitor the contract. Those mm-hmm. kind of- yeah, that's a great point. And I suppose being on those calls and engaging with other teams more might actually streamline processes down the line because you'll have a better understanding of how they work you know what they're what's important to them how they're trying to navigate the situation as well so I suppose that's that's a benefit as well completely and uh, with the best will in the world if you're brought in at the last minute you're never going to be given all the information that you need to really do the contract properly Uh, Mm -hmm. even if and who's bringing you up to speed is trying to take the time to have a call with you to explain what's going on. There will be things that they will forget or that they won't, uh, you know, they won't necessarily think are necessarily important to the contract. So mm-hmm. I've been trying to be quite proactive in getting involved at a really early stage to yeah. try and head off those problems. Yeah, that's a great tip. That's a great tip. Um, and how do you ensure that your your processes, your legal processes, are designed to Enable rather than hinder, I suppose. Uh, by using the Conto way. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't sound too much like I've drunk the Kool-Aid. No, uh, I like it. I love it. <laughs> it's, uh, no, I mean, it really underlies everything that we do right now um, in the legal team. I think the way we design a process to enable other teams is by aligning on our thinking with them. And since other teams were already working with those principles and that philosophy, mm-hmm. uh, the same methods and the same tools and the same mindset helps you to align with them and helps you to, uh, I mean, I think everyone has to be pulling in the same direction in, in a business that's growing this fast. And if everyone's working with different methods and with different philosophies and, and different manners, it's a bit of a mess. So, yeah, we're trying to, trying to introduce the Conto Way principles to the legal team. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, you need to have quality controls in place so that you don't get to the point of the production line, to use the Toyota metaphor, where the final quality control check occurs and you realize that the work is bad and you have to bin it because you can't ship a defective product to a customer. Um, mm-hmm. So, obviously, as team leads, you're going to have a role in the quality control process. But ultimately, you want to be able to train every member of your team and every member of every other team to have the autonomy and the ability to recognize problems themselves and to identify them, to sort of call them out um, so they perform their own quality control check in effect. Yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense. Is, is, that, is that quite tricky to do? <laughs> Uh, yes, I'm definitely a work in progress, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm learning like I think most other people are learning every day, mm-hmm. and you can read all you want, but it's only by applying it in practice and having to to do it. 
over and over again that you get good at it. Yeah, definitely. And I think that goes for everything in life as well. <laughs> um, and, and you mentioned that in addition to the quality output, obviously, speed and autonomy are super important uh, for the le- for legal at Conto. C- could you elaborate a little bit more on what that looks like um, for you at Conto? Uh, yes, I mean, speed and autonomy are, are important, but you have to have the quality that I was just talking about as well. The three, you can't really separate the three without the quality you can't really uh, well the speed and autonomy are a bit useless <laughs> um, so I guess in terms of autonomy if you've got the constraints that we've previously discussed in the legal team with the mm-hmm. resource or lack of resources uh, and you can't scale by number of people then you really need to recruit and train people who are happy to be and are will, uh, good at being autonomous from quite an early stage. Mm-hmm. You're going to deal with all the different demands from all the different teams at Quanta. But, sorry, not just at Quanta, that applies across the board. I mm-hmm. think get people to be autonomous early uh, and have the right instincts in place you then can start giving them more and more work and increase the speed. And obviously, underpinning all of that is the quality, which you have to spend time training them to do. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't really thought about making sure that you're kind of hiring people who have that right mindset as well, I suppose. Um, And I imagine it's in the legal world, I imagine there's quite a broad mix of experience in terms of how people are used to working especially maybe if they come from different backgrounds not necessarily the in-house world in tech (laughs) yeah completely I mean when I think back to my experience at the three different law firms I worked for there was for sure there was process but there weren't very many standards in how you did it you had a deal you had a deadline you had a a checklist and emails and frankly like I can't believe that I worked for that long with such a limited array of tools <laughs> uh, but yeah I mean everyone and, and even within the same law firm you have different teams who work for different people who have different methods of working so yeah it is difficult and that's why you have to really spend a lot of time being hands-on in the first month or so of the person's arrival at Quanto is to, uh, to to try and train them up to apply the skills they already have to in the way that we need them to apply it to Conto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And to deliver to deliver the answers in a certain way. One of the things I find, uh, this is true, true of me when I started in-house, I found that I was assessing the problem in, in the right way, but not necessarily delivering my solution in the right way. Uh, being more business-oriented, really, really drawing out the key business point and making it as your first point uh, and I think that's true of a lot of people who come from private practice particularly but but also from from other in-house firms it's, it's very easy to do the legal analysis it's much harder to apply it to the facts in a really really pertinent way that mm-hmm. someone with no legal knowledge is going to understand I think that's the true hallmark of a really really good lawyer yeah yeah, that's a great point, actually. I have a, a friend who, who studied law, but then went on to pursue a different career and um, 
within the business, uh, he sent an email and his CEO got back to him and said, did you study law? Because <laughs> I think he'd pitched the email very much. Here's why I think blah, blah, blah. And then at the bottom, <laughs> suggested whatever the business was interested in. So the, the CEO gave the feedback that, oh, if you just want to start with this bit and don't give me the rest unless I ask. So I thought that was quite interesting. To be honest, I, I, I learned that quite quickly working with bankers a lot in my pre previous career who do not want to read long emails. So I learned mm -hmm. to summarise the point pretty quickly. Otherwise, uh, they either wouldn't read it or they just ask you to explain to them anyway what the point was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That This was uh, with bankers as well. So maybe it's a banking thing. <laughs> Thinking about p people listening, what are some of the practical steps uh, that people working in in-house legal teams can take to implement speed and autonomy while still ensuring um, the quality of output for their legal function? And what should they be thinking about? I think you've got well, there are a lot of a lot of possibilities here, but I think there are four particularly that are quite important. Uh, one is to use a Kanban. To, I don't know if, if everyone will be familiar with the Kanban board concept, but it, you know, on Notion, but also on other, other collaborative tools, you have a, a board where you, where you can create little tickets, little requests uh, with the, all the details of the request, the people who need to respond to it, and the deadlines that you need to set. And it's a tool that every team in Conto uses. Uh, it's a visual management tool to allow you to see what's in a backlog, what's in work in progress, what's been done, what's been sent for signature, or you know, different uh, different statuses of the production line, if you will. Obviously, the nomenclature is going to change depending on whether it's the legal team or it's the strategy team or if it's the tech team. But the principle of the Kanban is the same. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a really, really useful tool for managing your, your current workload and inventory. Mm -hmm. uh, Visualize the tasks to see where there might be quality and speed issues, um, because the goal, as we were discussing before, is to do your work as well as possible, as quickly as possible. And so ideally, you reduce the amount of time, the lead time that it takes to deal with each Kanban card that's created. Mm -hmm. But I think you need to start by using that and align it, align your thinking with all the key business stakeholders. Using a tool that other teams are using must make it more accessible as well, which is a pretty good idea. For sure, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But you also have to make it clear to people how you're going to how you're going to use that tool. Uh, I think if you were starting a business from scratch and creating a process like this from scratch, you would probably it would probably be best to align with everyone what tool you're going to use and exactly how you're going to use it. Then next step is I think. Hiring people, we touched on it a few minutes ago, hiring people who are self-starters, who already have subject matter expertise. But f for me, the, the, having the expertise is important, but having that character element on top of it is really, really key. Uh, I think you can, well, it's a, it's a pretty fast and uh, challenging environment working in a startup. Uh, so having the technical skills is necessary, but you really have to have the right character to enjoy the enjoy the ups and downs, enjoy operating in grey areas, because by definition in startups we're all working on problems that have never been done before or you're trying to do things differently from the way they've ever been done before. 
Uh, so having people who are proactive, who suggest things, who are curious, who are happy taking informed decisions based on the facts they have before them, but maybe not having you know 100% certainty that is definitely definitely the right answer uh, are invaluable. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess additionally training again we touched on it but you really have to spend time training people when they join your team to understand the fundamentals of your business mm-hmm. i think you can understand an industry on one level but you can't really understand it until you've spent time working on the projects and really diving into it uh, particularly mm-hmm. in an like fintech which is super complex i mean i've spent eight years before joining called to working with financial institutions in the finance industry, working for banks, and I'm still discovering new things every day about how the payment system works. It's fascinating, but it's yes. super and you really have to spend a lot of time trying to understand it. Yeah, yeah. I imagine one one in-house role at one tech company is completely different than another in-house role at a different tech company, and that's just even in the tech space. Uh, yeah, exactly, and and then. Once you've understood it, you obviously have to transmit that to your team and put in the effort at the start. Again, start slow to go faster later and mm-hmm. to allow your team the autonomy and the uh, empowerment to do their own job without relying on you as much as they need to at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, like The fourth thing I'd say is implement standards. Uh, again, I mentioned it at the start, but if you think about, if you take a step back and think about the most common types of tasks that you do, uh, in your day-to-day work and write down your ideal or your standard for how you would do it best. I think y- you can then share that with the rest of the team, put it in practice, get them to use it as a guide as they go through the tasks that they're doing and see if it works. If it doesn't, you iterate and you slightly change it until you come up with a standard that really is an ideal and which you should use for each of the standardized tasks that you do. So for example, one of the standards I've created for my team is to how to approach an RFP process and how to respond to a Kanban card request. So for the Kanban card request, which is a very standardized process, even if the issues involved will differ each time, mm-hmm. I, you put practical steps of what you actually need to do, but also come up with some golden rules, like you know, always start with a key point, because just saying, don't <laughs> longer than three paragraphs if you, if, if at all possible if, like if there's a deeper legal analysis to do behind it put it somewhere else in your legal knowledge database or whatever database you use but when you're presenting your response to the operational team just use the three paragraphs mm-hmm. uh, and directly address the point of the question if you do those four things like using the kanban hiring the right people putting the building blocks in place by training your people and implementing standards it will take some time to implement them properly, but I've seen the benefits after a month or two and giving people the tools to do their job in the best way is going to empower them and it's going to reduce the stress on you when a bit further down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you teach them to spot the issues themselves, develop their own autonomy. For any legal function to achieve scale, speed and autonomy are crucial. But how do you improve that speed and autonomy without compromising quality within your legal function? Luke suggests four practical tips. Firstly, use some form of legal intake form, such as a Kanban on Notion. 
The purpose of this is to allow you to visualise the legal workload and understand where there might be quality or speed issues that you need to address. Secondly, hire self-starters with subject expertise. You need someone with the technical skills, but also, and importantly, someone with the right character to succeed in your likely dynamic environment. Proactive individuals who are curious and happy taking informed decisions based on the facts they have before them are really invaluable. Then, ensure you equip your team with the right training and tools needed to succeed. Ensure new joiners in your team understand the fundamentals of the business and spend time with them when they join to immerse them in understanding the commercial drivers. This means you'll have to spend a lot of time with them up front, but the effort put in at the beginning will pay off down the line. Lastly, implement standards and stick to these. Think about the most common types of tasks that you do in your day-to-day -day work and write down the standard for how that task should be performed. This involves explaining the practical steps and the golden rules to performing this activity effectively. If you do these four things, you'll be able to design processes that enable speed and autonomy while ensuring the quality of legal output. Yeah, for sure. That makes that makes complete sense. And on the, the training aspect, does it go further afield than the legal team as well? Wait, what do you mean? Um, so, f for example, um, almost trying to foster that sense of a legal culture within the business, I suppose. Um, so I suppose uh, maybe it's more relevant for a specific projects or if you're implementing a new tool, I guess, or something like that, but I, I mean, perhaps yeah, for the proof. Yeah, there are definitely definitely trainings that are cross-functional, cross-team trainings. It could be anything from training your back office team how to deal with uh, you know, seizures or insolvency procedures that they receive for, for your clients to training them on, training the product team on how to put in place uh, the right standards for waiving professional secrecy or uh, ensuring that the clients accept the right terms and conditions, mm. uh, ensuring that the latest regulatory updates that actually directly affect the product team and the strategy team are communicated to them. And then obviously from on a more operational level, uh, things like leeway, when you have a contract management platform that you're using, you need to spend a lot of time telling people how to use it. Um, mm -hmm what standards you've come up with internally for people to use it, what they should expect from the tool. And I know Antais has been very helpful for us in uh, giving those trainings to contours. <laughs> Good, she'll be pleased to hear that. <laughs> but that's great. Yeah, so it sounds like these these various kind of concepts can be applied through whatever it is um, that you're working on. So, so that's great. Especially implementing standard feels like a really important one um, from what you're saying. Um, are there any common challenges when it comes to designing processes, um, specifically thinking about speeds and autonomy, I suppose? And if so, how can we how can we overcome these? Common to people within the business or to other companies? Good question. I was I was thinking any common challenges in terms of the legal team designing processes. 
speed and autonomy? Yes, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it's all very well designing a system, uh, but you then have to actually make sure that people use it and use it in the right way. And this is where people who are not a fan of lots of process probably start to get lost because they mm. think, oh, well, you know, it's so much effort to actually, you, you've just spent all the effort to design the process and put it in place, and now you have to actually you know, monitor it and, and make sure that people are held accountable for maintaining the standard. And I think it is relatively easy. I, I have some sympathy with that point of view, but from practical experience, I think it's much better long term and the topic of this podcast is scaling uh, the legal team I think it's essential for scaling the legal team that you mm-hmm. do hold people accountable uh, to the standard uh, yeah. I think the solution to the problem of like, maintaining oversight on this kind of thing is to implement regular point de contrôle like sort of quality, quality controls, quality checks uh, at the beginning when you hire a new person, you're going to spend a lot of time with them. You're going to check most of what they do. Once they've got up to speed and once they've, you know, you've let them fly the coop, you, I think, as a manager, need to perform those control checks at periodic moments, maybe once a month, uh, and stress test, pick some examples of things that have been done in the last month and have a look at how they were done. And if there are problems with them, then you need to sit down with the person who did them and identify uh, what went wrong, why they did what they did, and how we can maybe slightly fix it or slightly tweak it to fix it in mm-hmm. the future. And it's inevitable that there are going to be some issues. But I think if you don't perform that kind of check, that as you manage more and more direct reports, it's impossible to check everyone's work. And even if you've spent the time at the beginning to train people up, there are inevitably going to be you know, some things that could be improved or worked upon. And so mm-hmm. I think that's quite a good way to counteract the risk of just introducing a system and letting it um, you know, drift off with no, no accountability. Yeah, totally. That's a great point. And from, from your experience, and especially with, with Conto, what's been the result of implementing the processes that, that are designed for, for quality, speed and autonomy? And, and how's it impacted and supported you in the business? Uh, well, it's relatively early days, so there's no, there's not huge reams of data available for, for, for me to share with you. I think the real proof is going to be in the you know, several, after several quarters of, of measurement uh, and getting the active feedback of other Conto teams who are using the new processes we've been put, putting in place. Um, but I think you know, the early signs are quite encouraging. Teams are becoming more aware and more familiar with the processes that we we use um, definitely having to tell fewer people what what to do to request something from legal. I use our Kanban. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and I think also with the the growth of the team, each of us has become uh, more familiar and more uh, clear on our scope. Uh, necessarily, last year that we were covering a lot of subjects and the scope was less clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that we've developed or started to develop these specialist teams, I think people are clear on their scope, feel more empowered, and uh, you know we're running with projects, developing standards, and trying to build one of the best legal teams in, in European fintech. Yeah, just a, you know, just a small ambition. 
<laughs> the world is next. Let, let's see what exactly, exactly. No, that's brilliant. Well, my my next question was going to be as you continue to scale, what's next for legal? So, but I think I think you've covered a lot of it there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we currently have specialisms in product and strategy, commercial IP data litigation, corporate and M and A, uh, with soon to be employment and HR as well. And uh, there might be one or two other specialisms that added in, in the next year, but I think what we're going to focus on for now is consolidating and building out those specialist teams by hiring a few more people. I've certainly got plans to hire a few more people this year and I'm sure the other team needs to do as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I think eventually you'll start to develop spe- sub-specialisms within the legal specialisms, but uh, <laughs> now at that moment, I think yeah. we're... We're a good-sized team, and with a few more people later in the year, we'll be like really well-placed to help Conto for the for the next year or two of its adventure. Yeah, that's brilliant. Well, well, thank you so much. I don't know, we've covered a lot today and loads of useful, useful different things and tips and examples as well, which I always think are really useful. Um, I don't know if you have anything else that you'd like to to add before we before we wrap up. No, no. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very, uh, very pleased to be here. And uh, yeah. Yeah, not at all. Delighted to have you. And yeah, you, you've experienced so many great things at Conto um, and been part of that that journey, I suppose. So you have so many great insights and and tips and advice <laughs> as well that I know will go down well. Um, well but also your kind of humility as well around, obviously, you're still learning. Um, and it's developing in the processes that you're building. So I think that's great and super important to acknowledge because I think everyone always will be. I mean, it's one of the main reasons I wanted to switch from private practice to working in a startup because you are tackling really big problems that are very complex and they require a lot of energy and effort and, and uh, time spent understanding, uh, which is necessarily going to mean you're learning a lot all the time. And mm-hmm. I more in the last year than I did in the previous several years before. Yeah. Well, that's brilliant. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time um, and everything. So that was superb. Really good. <laughs> thank you very much, Steph. <laughs>